please. Uh, we'll be back uh, with our series. We've uh, started this series, which I've entitled Ready for His Return. And uh, I trust that it's uh, a blessing to you thus far. We've only just started. And this will be our... Uh, uh, we will park here for a while. It'll probably take us a year uh, just to uh, uh, get on with this series. This morning we will consider what true and genuine conversion is and how the power of the gospel achieves that in the life of man. Am I loud enough? The title of our message this morning is The Power of the Gospel. The Power of the Gospel. Will you stand with me, please, if you're able? First Thessalonians chapter 1. Beginning here, someone's playing a trick on me on my timer. Okay, let's not use that. First Thessalonians, beginning here in verse 5. Bible says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you that we can come uh, in this place of comfort, a place that uh, we are able to fellowship with the saints, be encouraged, be challenged from your word, oh, but more importantly, to worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Father, as we uh, look to your word this morning, once again, I ask, oh God, I pray that you'd use your servant in a significant way this morning. Lord, that your word will indeed be preeminent into the hearts and lives of your people today. Father, help us to make personal applications of what we would see, read, and hear this morning. Meet with us, Father. I pray yet again, if there's one that's in our midst this morning that do not know you as their Lord and Savior, might today be the day of their salvation. And those of us who have made professions of faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, may we indeed realize the power of the gospel that we have received from you. We do praise you, thank you for the wonder that you are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
The gospel, of course, is not a religion. It's not reformation. It's not philosophy. And certainly not psychology. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, both to the Jew and indeed to the Greek. That means the Gentiles, Romans 1, verse 16. Paul, Silas, and Timothy brought the gospel to this pagan city of Thessalonica, which resulted in an everlasting change lives, uh, change to the lives of those who received it. The same gospel is still accomplishing the same life change in people today in all the different places of the world since then. Verse 5. Notice firstly Paul referred to it as our gospel. Our gospel. Now in many other parts of scripture... It is referred to as the gospel of God. In that it is a message of good news that originates with God and comes to us from Him. Calling it the gospel of God affirms the authority of the message. It is not just a humanistic religious philosophy but rather a message that comes to us from the living and true God. To reject it would be to reject the authority of the supreme God of the universe. At other times, the scripture and Paul himself referred to it as the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. That good news that centers on the person and the work of Christ. The promised deliverer. He gave himself on the cross as the substitute for our sins. God raised him bodily from the dead to confirm that he accepted the death of his son as the sufficient and perfect sacrifice uh, for all that believe in him. And for us, accepting this good news requires submitting. Requires submitting our lives to Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But here, Paul referred to it, as our gospel. Our gospel. I believe to reflect his own experience of accepting the gospel as true and the fact that it was entrusted to him to proclaim it. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. You see, beloved, there is a subtle teaching out there that our lives and how we live it should communicate the gospel without words. There is a subtle teaching out there that our lives and how we live it 
should communicate the gospel without words. That's true. And Paul himself, notice at the end of verse 5, Paul himself backed up his doctrine with his deeds. He said, as ye know what manner of men we were among you. But can I say to you this morning, words were and are necessary to communicate the truth of the gospel. For our gospel, Paul said, came not into you in word only. That means they were speaking it to them. Beloved, we must present the gospel clearly in understandable words for people to be truly converted. People don't get converted without the preaching of God's word. You don't get converted just by an experience. You don't get converted just because you belong to a Christian family. You don't get converted just because you've seen some light. You do get converted by the preaching of God's word. While we leave a good testimony before men, the gospel must be communicated in works, yes, but in words also. We know, of course, of Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Turn also, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We find here the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Please listen, verse 1 to 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul speaking, Moreover, brethren, I, what? Declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. I like that last bit. Not according to his opinion, but according to the Scriptures. And so Paul's gospel, the one he also received, was communicated. It was declared. It was preached. And I need to make a point here as well. Especially after what I watched last night regarding an interview of a famous pastor, but more like a motivational speaker. Um, his uh, church... Um, and the congregation is some 7,000 people. And um, I was watching this interview, and again, to, to enrich my, my, my soul and my knowledge. And um, 
he was asked about the gospel, and uh, he said that he believes the gospel, but he has a different approach to it. His idea of the gospel being preached is to lift people's spirit up. To lift people's spirit up. Now, ordinarily, in a different context, uh, that is legit and that's acceptable, but not in the context of gospel preaching. Not in the context of gospel preaching. Beloved, the gospel is not really or primarily about how Jesus can help you with your marriage. Or your parenting. Or how to succeed in business. Or help you with your emotional problems. Of course, the Lord Jesus can help you and do all these things and a whole lot more. But understand, beloved... The gospel is the message that we are sinners. And no amount of spirit lifting changes that. Uh, You and I are sinners and who deserve God's eternal judgment. But Jesus died as our substitute. A perfect sacrifice for sin. The sinless for the sinner. The just For the unjust, he died so that we may live. And can I tell you, that's better than lifting up one's spirit. Because the effect is eternal. It doesn't change depending on the mood that you have on that day. Lifting up one's spirit is not gospel preaching. And so if we are sharing the gospel, we don't sugarcoat it just to lift people's spirit. Nor do we want to be obnoxious and an ogre and focus in beating them up about the things that they do wrong. We have to find the balance, beloved, of judgment and grace and mercy. The gospel did not come to the Salonicans as some sort of a philosophic lecture, or though some religious door-to-door salesman. This means, beloved, that true conversion does not depend on sleek preaching uh, uh, and feel-good techniques, and does not, and thus conversion, nor does conversion comes from powerful rhetoric or convincing logic of the preacher. Although I must say the gospel must be preached and communicated well in order for it to be understood. You don't beat around the bush when sharing the gospel. You need to go back to the word. You have to have the Bible verses Quoted either through your phone if you're on the road or your little pocket Bible if you still have those. Conversion, spiritual conversion comes from the Holy Spirit working powerfully to open blind eyes of man to the truth of the gospel and of the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 4 to 6. 
True conversion is not just getting a person to make a decision or pray a sinner's prayer. Uh -uh. You can ask anyone, Joe blogs in the street, to ask and pray a sinner's prayer, and then you have just sent them to hell faster because you have made them believe that by saying a prayer, save them. Be careful. Be careful. The conversion is really not just making a decision to pray, but rather the Holy Spirit convicts him of the truth of the gospel for him to decide either to accept or reject that truth. Let me also say this. You may be thinking, Pastor, you know, I really want to communicate the gospel, but I don't have a dramatic conversion testimony like the Apostle Paul had on the road to Damascus. I just grew up in church. Since I was born, my parents took me to church. and uh, But I know... I am saved. I, I may not be able to remember the exact date, but I know I got saved, and I am saved. However, I really don't have a, a, a tear-jerking Hollywood-style conversion testimony. Listen, you don't have to have a spectacular, dramatic, tear-jerking conversion, salvation story to be an effective witness for Christ. You don't have to. You don't have to have to. If you know him, you know he changed and given you a new life and heart. Before you were saved, being a Christian was just a chore, a routine. You went to church because mom and dad said so. And mom and dad said that it's the right thing to do. Uh, you went through all the motions, the Christian lingo, and the Christian looks, and you were most likely outwardly moral. But you didn't really love God and His Word. You didn't hate your sin. You probably thought that you'd go to heaven because you were a pretty good person or that you belonged to a Christian family. But when God saved you, he opened your eyes to your self-righteousness, pride, lust, greed, selfishness, and many other sins. He worked in your heart, and you responded according to his prompting. Now you see how much he forgave you, how much he loved you. As you come to understand and believe the gospel, you are growing to see the beauty of Jesus and his holiness and how he fulfilled hundreds of promises personally to you. You come to a full conviction of the truth of the gospel because God changed your heart uh, uh, and you believe. And for that, my dear one, for that, my dear one, 
you can communicate the gospel and it makes you a more effective witness for Christ just as much as those that have a dramatic conversion story. The gospel, post-gospel, our gospel must be communicated in works and indeed in words also. Secondly, the power of the gospel is the Holy Ghost. The power of the gospel is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit, of course, is the third person in the triune Godhead. He is no less deity than the other two of God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit was involved in the incarnation of Christ to the world. Luke one thirty five. He worked alongside with Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. Acts chapter 10 verse 38. When Jesus ascended back to heaven, Christ gave commandments through the Holy Spirit uh, to the apostles. Acts chapter 1 verse 2. Just like the other two persons in the Godhead, the Holy Spirit is involved or was involved in the works uh, of God towards His creation. And God the Holy Spirit is very much active in the lives of man in this age. Again, the power of the gospel is the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. Paul speaking, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, or declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. That's Paul. And that is gospel preaching. When the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit convicts, John 16, 7 to 11. The Holy Spirit enlightens, John chapter 1, verse 9. The Holy Spirit draws, John 12, 32. And when the gospel is received, the Holy Spirit seals, Ephesians 1, verse 13, and sanctifies the believer, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. The Holy Spirit is the power. Of the gospel. Still in verse 5, thirdly, the gospel comes in much assurance. In much assurance. The word assurance here is, uh, I don't know if I'll say this right, plerothoria. It means perfect certitude, full conviction. It is translated full assurance. Uh, the gospel comes with much assurance because salvation is a free gift of God's grace. The gift was purchased exclusively and solely by Christ. It is received by and through faith, not by works, remember? And so salvation is sure 
a present possession, not a future possibility. A present possession, not a future possibility. If I'm saved, and I am by the grace of God, I can know it and rejoice in it. 1 John 5, verses 11 to 12. And this is the record that God had given to us eternal life. And that life is in His Son. Uh, <clears throat> and he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not the Son of God hath not life. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 10, verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and he shall never perish, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out out of my hand. Beloved, no doubt about it, the gospel comes with much assurance. Still in verse 5. The end of the verse there. Notice fourthly. The gospel and the conversion of those who receives it. Manifests in how people live their lives. In this case. Paul. Silas. And Timothy. They were men of integrity. Their lives were an open book to the Thessalonians. And Paul said. As you know what manner of men we were. Among you. Notice Paul how he repeats this thought in the entire letter. Follow along as I read through this. Of course, uh, here in in uh, <clears throat> in, uh, in our verse verse five, but turn to chapter two uh, here in verse one. For you yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. But even after that we have suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Come down to verse 10. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behave ourselves among that believe. Verse 11. Uh, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Chapter 3, here in verse 4. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it come to pass. And ye know, chapter 4, verse 2. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Paul throughout his entire letter kept on repeating this thought of their testimony, their behavior before the church at Thessalonica. Oh, how encouraging it must be to meet the Apostle Paul. But in the same breath I say, and I can only speak for myself, how challenging how convicting, how sobering it must be also to meet a man that lived for Christ and then say to die 
is gain. What an amazing man Paul was. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they live not to please man, but to please God. Reminds me of someone who said, and I quote, If you're not living to please God on the heart level, please keep quiet about being a Christian. You'll do more damage than good for the cause of Christ. If your life does not back up the truth of the gospel. He further said, Hypocrisy turns people off and hinders them from seeing the truth of who Christ really is. Ouch. Let it not be so with and amongst us. Oh, let it not be so amongst us. Verse 6. And ye became followers of us, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. Firstly, beloved, the gospel must be received. Having received the word, the Bible says, the gospel is for all men, but it must be received individually. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Notice the word all here. It means no other but that. All. All means all. Now we know that God will have all men to be saved, but not all will be, but they can be. That last bit is important. Uh, I say it again. Just because not all will be saved does not make our God no longer sovereign or less of a God. As true as that is, John 1.12 tells us, But as many as receive him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so the gospel must be believed and received. Now by virtue of believing and receiving, we, as well as many billions of people who did the same thing, became followers of Paul. His companions, but most importantly, followers of the Lord Jesus. Now some might conclude that Paul was being arrogant to tell people to follow him. Now if you thought that, let me encourage you. Turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians again. And again, uh, we know... What the church of Corinth is like. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Here Paul in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the ministries, mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you 
or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now come down with me please to chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11, here in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also, as I also am of Christ. Paul, I believe, wasn't being arrogant. Not one bit. Truth be told, truth be told, truth be told, you and I, whether we like it or not, whether we leave it or not, we can either be a good or a bad example to others. Just like Paul, we either live for the Savior or we live for self. What is and should be in view here is that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were examples of and for Christ. Because it was through them that the Thessalonians first saw the reality, the manifestation, the personification of the gospel in the lives of Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. Paul must have testified the power of the gospel in his conversion. How God changed him. There must be a change for a person to be saved and genuinely converted. How God changed him from being a blasphemer, from being a persecutor, from being an injurious person. That means a violent aggressor. 1 Timothy 1.13 that is. That changed from that to a man who was willing to lay down his life so that others could come to know the Savior. That was what Paul meant when he said, become followers of us. That is to be changed into Christ's image. From being self-centered, idolatrous, pleasure-seeking Salonicans into Christ-following, Christ-loving, Christ-conforming believers in the way that they should be. Are you following Christ this morning, beloved? I hope so. Oh, I pray so. Notice also that the gospel comes with affliction and joy. Having received the word in much affliction. Did you notice that? Here in our text, in much affliction. The word <coughs> affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. We'll take care of them uh, in a moment. The word affliction here is thalipsis. From the word thalibo. Meaning to crush, to press, to compress, to squeeze. It is also translated persecution in Acts 11 verse 19. Translated tribulation in Acts 14.22. Translated trouble in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. And burden in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 13. We may, not, we may not like it, my dear ones, but plenty of times in God's word says 
that every believer will have to contend and suffer affliction for the gospel's sake and for Christ's sake. We may not like it, but Acts 14.22 says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4. We will get there soon enough into this series. But Paul said, For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. Timothy was told, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God. 1 Timothy 4.10 If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. That's certain. Shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happen unto you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. And of course, the Lord Jesus himself, he said, In this world ye shall have tribulations. And did he not say also, To follow him is we are to pick up our cross and follow him. I am concerned that many are led to believe in a false gospel. That if they trust and believe in Christ, their trials and afflictions will go away. And all that they will have is but an abundant life. Uh, meaning that uh, they will have financial prosperity and success. Uh, good health and healing uh, from any sickness. That is not true, beloved. That is a false gospel. And those who are deceived by it are often found wanting, unprepared, disappointed when the trials of life come. And when they do... They cannot handle it and therefore conclude that Christ and Christianity must not be true. Because they have been conditioned, they have been made to believe that Christianity is a life of ease and pleasure. It is not. It is a life of tribulation. We are going to be partakers of Christ's suffering. But boy, oh boy, the return, the reward of it is glorious beyond compare. Oh, beloved, the true gospel. And this is the joy part. As the Lord taught, it said, Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The true gospel joy, beloved, does not come in a life of ease or absence of affliction in our lives. But rather Galatians 5 verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Notice, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, 
let us also walk in the Spirit. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptation. Temptations here is pirasmos. And the idea here is adversities. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. What about First Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 14? Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. But what? Rejoice. Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may also be glad with exceeding joy. Verse 14, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Wasn't this what Joseph discovered in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Oh my dear ones. The joy of salvation, our joy of salvation comes by faith. And the promises of God in our joy of faith. Philippians 1 verse 25. Our joy of salvation comes from 1 Peter 1 8. Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, uh, yet believing ye Rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Our joy comes in knowing from Scripture that we are beloved. We are accepted. We are adopted. We have been forgiven. We have been cleansed. We have been regenerated. We have been justified. We have a citizen of heaven, joined heir with Christ, seated in the heavenlies in Christ. And so, yes, the gospel comes with much affliction. But in and through those afflictions, there is trials of our faith, but there is also joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what Paul was saying here. And it's amazing that in just one or two verses, there is so much to see about the power of the gospel. Let me just wrap this up. True and genuine conversion results from the preaching of the gospel. While this is true and it is expedient, that means it is necessary. That is the power of the gospel to change lives. Do not rest in the preacher. Not even this pastor, but rather through the power of the Holy Ghost. Thirdly, the gospel in its power manifests itself in the performance of those who receive it. In the way that they live it in their lives for and because of the gospel. The gospel has to be preached. It derives its power from the Holy Ghost. Its power is seen in the chain's heart and in the chain's lives of those people who believe it, receive it, and perform it. The gospel also comes with its own promise of affliction. Much affliction, in fact. But how many lives have been lost? And how many lives have been persecuted because of it? Oh, but with much affliction, it is also has the promise of joy in the Holy Ghost. What about you? Have you experienced the power of the gospel in your life? 
Let me first talk to you those that have made professions of faith in Christ. Beloved, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You know that. You've heard that from me and from the many other pastors that you've been under. My question to you, though, is, are you performing that power, not only in preaching it, but more importantly, in living it? One of the powers of the gospel is to change lives. We have been transformed from darkness into light. We should be seeing a changed life. We should no longer be preferring the life of the past, but rather the life of the present and the life of the future to come in glory. Are you like the Salonicans? Have you been following the Lord and conforming to His will in your life? That is to offer yourself a living sacrifice, Romans 12. And to be not conformed to this world. Are you experiencing the power of the gospel in your life? As we will see next Sunday, Lord willing, if we're still here, we can't be presumptuous about these things. The Salonicans, they were an example to others. We'll cover that next Sunday. Oh, my dear ones. Please, look around you. We are closer to eternity than we've ever been before. And so, are we preaching the power of the gospel? Are we performing the power of the gospel? This is not it, beloved. The best is yet to come. Uh, Don't be too in love with this world. Don't let this world hold you down. This is not our eternal destiny. Heaven is our eternal destiny. Invest in there, not in here. And now perhaps you are here, and firstly, you have no knowledge of your election of God, you have no idea. What election is. You do not fully understand what the gospel is. You have heard it as being good news, but for others and perhaps not to you. Oh, beloved, you can possess it yourself. Perhaps you have questions that needed to be answered. Hey, we're here. This room is full of people that had questions in life until we found answers to those questions. Amen. Until we have given, been given a new life. Just because you know the gospel doesn't mean that you have received the gospel. But you can know. You can be sure. Because the word of God says. And so just before we proceed with the communion service. Christian. Are you performing? Are you leaving? power of the gospel are you communicating it to everyone that will give you a listen if not don't you think it's time
that we should communicate the good gospel of Christ. We all say that this is the last days. These are the last days. Hey, if it is, and it is, let's go out there and tell people about the good gospel of grace. My friend, perhaps you're here and you do not know, you do not uh, understand, you have not received the gospel, and therefore it doesn't have the power in you to change your life. I'd like you to know that. I plead with you that you would, hopefully today, come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm going to have the communion, but before we do that, by way of our closing hymn, I'd like to call Fiona to sing this uh, hymn, God's Final Call. Would you consider both you, the Christian, and the non-Christian, God's final call. Thank you, Fiona. It's cool. 